0: Hey dudes, this is The Big Game. I'm your host, Justin Hargett. Football is back, that's right, the NFL, back on your TVs every Sunday and Monday, and I guess Thursday now. So as you'll hear today on the podcast, I'm still a little bit skeptical of the sport of American football. It's Escher-esque rulebook is mind-numbingly dumb and oftentimes incomprehensive. But then you get a game like Sunday nights between division rivals, the New York Giants, the Dallas Cowboys, and a game like that really goes a long way to making up for it. So joining me on the show today is Jim Ruland. He is the author of the novel, Forest of Fortune. He's a former casino employee and a degenerate New York Giants fan. And like me, he loves punk rock, zines, and listening to the Los Angeles Dodgers on the radio. Screw you, Time Warner Cable. And just so you know, we actually recorded this podcast before Eli Manning revealed the fact that he told his running back not to score from the one-yard line when they had a chance to go up by an insurmountable 10 points, just a minute and 34 seconds left in the fourth quarter. But really, the entire final drive of the Giants was perplexing, and their ensuing two-minute defense was simply piss poor. So no matter the facts, the Giants deserve to lose it at the end of the game. So on the show today, we will discuss that riveting final two minutes of the fourth quarter, as well as the best incomplete pass of all time, the merits, or rather, the demerits of throwing on third and goal, and Jim's take on what teams to watch this season. Hope you enjoy our conversation about the return of the NFL. Hey Jim, welcome to the big game. Hey, what's going on? So, we're here to talk about one of your favorite teams, the New York Giants, going up against the Dallas Cowboys in the first Sunday night football of the season on NBC. Uh, These are two big NFC East rivals, and the Cowboys, they won this just with a ridiculously efficient classic two-minute drill to close out the game. So, I want to start talking then about the closing sequence of this game, and you know, it seemed to me that New York had, for... I don't know if it was dumb luck or just great defense combined with, you know, some some calls that went their way, but they gutted out what looked like a victory at the very end. But with the ball on the one-yard line and two shots at the end zone to kind of seal it, ice the game, put it away, Dallas just stopped them, and then Tony Romo marches down the field and scores. So what the hell happened in this game?
1: Well, see... You just want to go for the jugular and start the podcast by ripping my heart out. (laughs) As a lifelong Giants fan, I have a lot of complicated memories about this kind of situation. Uh, Just two years ago, it it was kind of a repeat of um, the opener between Dallas and the Giants, which I think was also a night game, or maybe it was a late afternoon game, where that one was more of a barn burner that went back and forth. Where I think the Giants had five turnovers and still had a chance to win at the end and came up short. This was really different. The Giants were were winning the entire game and then lost with seven seconds to go. But anyone who follows this team and this rivalry knows that they at no point did the Giants ever really have the game. They are extremely young team, especially on defense, and that really came through at the end
0: yeah and and they never seemed to like they were really threatening to score a touchdown just from the offense, just from Eli Manning's ability to take the team down the field and just get points. I mean, when they did that, they settled for field goals, and they did that you know almost for the entire first half was just settling for field goals. And then it was really the two turnovers that one led to a touchdown and one was almost a touchdown. It stopped at the one yard line. But like that's where the majority of the Giants touchdowns came. What is it about this team that they couldn't quite execute that way?
1: Well, you had uh, a lot of young players, again, on the offensive line, so you had some things that were a bit unsettled. Um, it seemed like towards the end they were getting their groove on with the running game. That's what Giants want to do. They want to keep They want to keep you in the game. They want to wear you down. I mean, the Giants have built their offensive line with Dallas in mind because their front seven is really... Uh, small and undersized, they're fast and speedy, but they're not really beefy. And I think you saw that when um, I think it was Eric Flowers just mauled their first the Cowboys' first round draft pick, an undersized defensive end, <laughs> and just you know ripped his ankle out of his leg. Yeah, but I would have to say, you know, I, I'm not really sure what Eli's problem was. It seemed like an extremely conservative game plan.
0: Yeah, he, he didn't throw any picks, but he didn't throw any touchdowns either. I mean, I'm looking at a stat line right now, 20 for 36, almost 200 yards. At, you know, it's fine. He protected the ball, which I think is important. But they just couldn't quite. I mean, you know you said they're, they're working on their running game, but it, for me, like, I, you know, I grew up, you know this, you hate this about me, but I grew up a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And if you're on the one-yard line and you can't get the ball in the end zone, with like an I formation fullback and a running back just to like pound it in there, I don't think you should be playing football.
1: Well, we'll get to that last play in a second. I mean, one thing you had so Victor Cruz wasn't playing, so you had uh, Preston Parker as the number three receiver, who's kind of like a short shifty uh, slot receiver guy, and he was open quite a bit and and was targeted by Manning, and he had three drops. Yeah. Uh, among Giant fans, there was a lot of surprise when the Giants decided um, to cut the free agent they'd signed in the summer, uh, former Green Bay Packer and Raider uh, James Jones, and go with Parker instead. And if you looked at James Jones' stat line, all he did was catch you know, two touchdowns for the Packers. <laughs> and uh, I think some of that would have been very helpful. Some of that experience would have been a big help. The young Giants team, you know, especially with Victor Cruz not out, um, so it's almost as if the Giants were like blindsided by Victor Cruz not playing. But I don't see how that could be the case since he's been on the comeback from an injury. Uh, and tr- trying to run it in from the one yard line and not being able to, and throwing on third down, especially when you needed the time. Like if you were just gonna, if you were just gonna s- do that. That's 40 seconds that Tony Romo doesn't have you know, when he gets the ball back, and they probably don't win the game. And it's not like the NFL hasn't had all offseason to think about the merits of throwing it on third and short, <laughs> since that's exactly what Pete Carroll tried to do in the Super Bowl and was basically has been roasted over the coals for it. Now, you saw Tom Coughlin last night apologizing. I will say it was extremely painful to watch that because it, was, it brought up memories of a game I attended uh, kind of way back in the 90s when uh, the Giants were in the playoffs. It was Jeremy Shockey's rookie year. Kerry Collins was the quarterback. Jim Fossil was the coach. And they were blowing the Niners away in San Francisco, and the Niners came all the way back and won, and the game was decided at the end when um, a botched snap on a field goal, and the punter, the kicker, the holder rather, rolled out and threw the ball to an eligible uh, lineman who then just got mauled and tackled by Chiki (laughs) Now, I remember all these details because it happened right in the end zone where I was sitting, and you can see my horrified expression on ESPN Highlight. <laughs> it's like from of the lone giant fans of the San Francisco end zone. But you had the same thing happen. Uh, Daniel Fells, the tight end, was just taken out. He was tackled. Uh, but because the ball ended up not being anywhere near the tight end, uh, the play wasn't called. It should have been. It's still pass interference. Pass interference gets called away from the ball all the time
0: yeah, i want to I want to get to that because there was a lot about the challenges in this game, the replays in this game, decisions that the referees made that were questionable or or something. But I, I want to get to that in a second. But first, uh, going back to you know the Giants wide receiver core, you know this game was really supposed to be a highlight real showcase between two of the best wide receivers in the league, Dallas Des Bryant, New York's Odell Beckham, Jr. But Bryant missed most of the game first for dehydration, and when, when they said that he came back onto the field from the locker room after having had an IV in his arm and, like, was bandaged up, I just couldn't help but, like, think, like, how are you even going to catch a ball after just having had an IV in your arm? Like, having had someone put, like, needles in you and then wrap it up. Like, I'm sore for, like, a day and a half after giving blood. Uh, I, I just, I mean, these guys are definitely superhuman compared to me. But oh, absolutely. And then... Uh, Odell Beckham Jr., you know, he was just pretty absent for most of the game. I mean, the Giants didn't basically have the ball in the first quarter, but still he didn't show up till just about the last couple of uh, downs uh, in the fourth quarter. Were you disappointed that these guys didn't have bigger games?
1: Uh, No, especially with Des Bryant. You know, uh, he's he's not one of my favorite human beings. (laughs) And um, and he actually, um, I feel a little bad because he was like, on the sideline for a lot of the, third, the second half even after the uh he was dehydrated in the end of the first quarter which maybe they were masking something I don't really know because it turns out uh the dude uh, sprained his ankle or broke his a bone in his foot or something oh wow he's going to be out for the next 4 to 6 weeks that's why he wasn't in the end of that game so um it was a very costly victory for the Cowboys because uh, they also had the ankle injury to Gregory. They lost uh, Des Bryant for four to six weeks. Um, they're still dealing with suspensions to two of their defensive players. And they basically got handled by a very young, no-name, scrappy defense with rookies starting all over the place. The middle linebacker is an um, undrafted free agent uh, from BYO named, BYU named Unga. Mm-hmm. And if, like, anybody knew who he was who wasn't a Giants fan a week ago, you'd be, you know, <laughs> you're more of a degenerate gambler than I am. <laughs> so I think there's some, um, the Giants can take away, like, they were supposed to get blown out. They were, um, were six-point underdogs, and that line moved throughout the day. And uh, to seven points, nobody was really giving them much of a chance. Um, but to go back to answer your question to, like, you know, uh, I think what you saw both teams do is play very conservative defense, in that they uh, they um, they had high safety help on uh, um, on Odell the whole time. So they had like man coverage and a high safety. And Eli, being the smart guy, went to, went to the open guy. So he was throwing to his no-name tight ends. He was throwing to you know Preston Parker and Dwayne Harris, and 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 they weren't getting the job done.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point you make. I mean, this was really kind of like a dink-dunk pass kind of game uh, yeah. on, on both sides of it. And maybe that, you know, I, I remember uh, Chris Collinsworth was talking about uh, Tony Romo's veteran leadership and skills during this one possession where he, like, he kills a certain play because he sees a blitz coming, and then he, you know, he picks the right receiver that's going to be open in five yards, and then they get a first down. Uh, and so it kind of just seemed like maybe this is, I don't know, the the crafty veteran quarterback kind of game where... They're, if, if the you know if the stars are you know uh marked down the field maybe they're just going to pass their way five yards at a time throughout
1: yeah there was i mean I don't think either quarterback was really fooled by the things they were seeing there was one play where they uh, the announcers were going all over Tony Romo you know for recognizing the blitz and but it was also a third down in completion mm-hmm like okay great it was the best incomplete pass ever if <laughs> we move on you know maybe when he wins more than one playoff game we can uh, start celebrating um tony romo now i also happen to think that um you know for a while when tony romo first came into the league um and he he is a uh, tony romo is a bill parcells protege he was uh I think he was undrafted or picked in the fifth or sixth round when Parcells was still with that franchise. So he he knew what he was doing when he got Tony Romo, and Romo sat for a while. And it wasn't until Bledsoe got hurt, which I believe was in a Giants game when Osie Manure uh, leveled him, <laughs> that uh, that Romo came in the and came into the league. And, and I couldn't stand the guy for years because he was this backwards hat wearing a goofy guy who um uh, would get these lucky bounces and pull a horseshoe out of his ass like on a regular basis. <laughs> a snap would sail twenty yards over his head and he'd turn and give it uh, turn to go scoop it up and the ball would like bounce right into his hands and he'd turn it into a forty yard play.
0: What do they call those unquantifiables? That Tony Romo is the the leader in that stat. Well if you're a Giants fan, you call it bullshit. <laughs> Over
1: the years, I've really softened my stance on him because um, it's, you know, in the way the NFL is, it's very much a what have be done for me lately league. And the guy was, you know, a goat for years. I mean, it started when he, uh, I think in a a Seahawks game or in the playoffs where he. um,
0: He dropped the, he dropped the ball in the field goal.
1: Yeah. He choked as the holder. And um, and then it, it was just a string of mishaps and it led to him being like one of like the least clutch players which is not really fair, except you know, I mean, it's not like the Cowboys are, you know, a paragon of well-run franchises. He did There were plenty of times where he didn't have a whole lot of help, but lately they've been doing things right. They've been building their offensive line and giving so Tony Tony Miller doesn't have to do it by himself. He seems, you know, to me like a fairly sincere person, um, and I don't have anywhere near the enmity that I do for. Um, pretty much anyone in the Philadelphia League
0: uniform. <laughs> yeah, it surprised me Like when they mentioned that Eli Manning was in his 12th season, Tony Romo was in his 13th season. And it's, it's just shocking to me that there's this sort of generation of quarterbacks, you know, Roethlisberger and Tom Brady. Like, these guys have just been around for, you know, 14, 15 years, still there, still on their team that they've been with, you know, this entire time. You know, Peyton Manning, too, except on a different team. But they're just—they're just still going and still going while all of the pieces around them change, coaches, wide receivers, running backs, but just the quarterback can just stay forever in this league.
1: Yeah, it is—it is pretty amazing. It just kind of shows like how rare they are, and there really isn't a formula for where you get them. Um, but when you have them, you hold on to them, you know. So.
0: All right, so I want to talk a little bit about challenges, replays, and the referee. Uh, there are some incredibly influential calls in this game that the referees made. Um, I'm thinking of Cromartie's deflection in the end zone, which did not look like pass interference whatsoever, and that essentially gave Dallas a touchdown. Uh, there were a few incomplete passes slash fumbles that went one way or the other, and then the clock fiasco on the Giants' uh, final drive, which gave them you know, an additional... 30 seconds of clock to kill, which they probably should have killed a little bit more of. Uh, cool. All things considered, but you know, it kind of this this might be more of a rant than a question, and maybe I just kind of get your perspective on it. But like, it seems to me that the game of football today is much more about the interpretation of the rule book, like you know, whether whether or not it's to the letter of the law or not, and it's not really enough about what's happening on the field. And I'm kind of thinking of how replays and challenges work in tennis which has completely erased judging error and like players just kind of move on and stop arguing about it because it's just all officially done instantaneously and I guess what I'm getting at is like it's hard for me to care about like the deflated balls or the jammed headsets or whatever like the next crisis is of the day when like it's the game itself that has conditioned us to question Like the very legitimacy of every reception, every turnover, every touchdown.
1: No, I know what you're saying in that it's kind of like uh, you follow the letter of the law, you lose the spirit of the game, where if you're at a game, you're not really sure what you're seeing. Like, um, I know for a fact that going, my going to uh, games has been diminished because I don't have access to the replays.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I don't have access to, you know, uh, all the input that's coming out. Even when watching, I can't imagine not watching a game without Twitter. Uh, (laughs) Because, you know, I follow all the beat writers, so when it goes to a commercial break, you see, okay, this person's in the locker room, this person is okay, uh, this person is wandering confused in the parking lot, you know, all those things, you know, you can find out pretty quickly. But, yeah, it, it really is, like, there was one play... Uh, by um, the tight end um, uh, Larry Donnell where he caught it and uh, um, he went to the ground and then it the ball like came out after you know came out and I didn't know if it was a catch or not based on all the rules yeah I mean in the old days I say yeah he caught it he maintained he hits the ground that's catch but now I'm not so sure and, and and it seems like the rest weren't sure because first they said it was a catch and then they reviewed it and said it wasn't. And I don't know what the explanation was, but I didn't really learn from that and say, Oh, okay, now that's not a catch. I understand this the next time it happens. And I think a lot of people feel that way where you're like, you know, is it a catch or not? Where that if a player and a ball both end up on the ground, you know, who knows what's a catch and what isn't.
0: Yeah, and also the 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 idea that you only like they, they've made challenges and replays not, not uh, like a, a referee-judging aspect of the game. They've made them a, a coaching advantage part of the game, whereas you, you only have two. You have to win both of them if you want to get a third. Like they've made it part of all of that other strategy that goes into it when you know, it, it's almost like they're asking us to get upset about calls that are made by the referee, and, and maybe they are. Um, you know, maybe it makes the sport more popular when people get totally pissed off that, you know, some egregious injustice has been done, but it just seems like there should be an easier way to, yeah. to speed up the process, to make the process more transparent, uh, make the rule book less arcane and Byzantine and just, I don't know, make it more enjoyable to watch straight through.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, like that, do that Camardi play? I mean, I think that, you know, nine out of 10, uh, football fans would see that and see that that was great play.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And um, and especially, I mean, that's the thing is you can compare it to other plays that happened in the game and say, well, this other one that was not interference was more interference than the one that was. and you know, you know, it doesn't really benefit from that. But that definitely felt like a little bit of home cooking because that's what got Dallas going. At that point, I think there had been there had not been a single offensive touchdown scored. Uh, um, Dallas Giants were up by 10. It was all field goals and a, and a defensive touchdown. And by giving them the ball on the one, uh, it was pretty much a um, you know, fresh set of downs. It was you know, the red carpet. Yeah.
0: All right, so let's let's leave the game behind. I think I've made you dwell on the Giants' defeat enough as it is.
1: Yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about, uh, real quickly, though, is that is the action that I had on the game. Yes. Is, is that being a, you know, being in Las Vegas, I watched the game at the Sportsbook at the, uh, uh Palazzo, and, um, you know, I you know having been in this situation so many times, it was like there was no way I was going to bet on the Giants you know, <laughs> in this particular game. I mean, I've i I've, I've seen that movie before, but like everybody else in the universe, I was like, man, this is going to be a shootout. It's going to be Eli going nuts. You know, I don't I don't think you know you got Odell. I don't I don't. I'm not a big believer in the Dallas secondary. They lost their best cornerback. Um, I don't know what they're going to do. And then it's, you know, same with the Giants. They got a bunch of rookies on, on uh, defense. You know, I think it's it could be, you know, another barn burner. And so the over was, uh, started out at like 51, and, and it was 52 when I got it. And I had some reservations about that because there's 52 and 51. It's actually kind of a big difference. Mm-hmm. and um, But I took it, and I used it in a couple of other parlays and everything. And, and it was a really interesting situation because during the last fourth quarter, I'm watching everything, I'm rooting for my team, but I'm also doing math, figuring <laughs> out, like, okay, how many points? You know, I know that there's going to be a lot of points scored. And so when even when, da- when the Giants couldn't punch it in to go up by 10, uh, which I would have loved because that meant Dallas would have needed a touchdown to... Uh, to get, they need two scores, so they're going to, you know, either one, a field goal or a touchdown, gets me, gets me there. But the Giants didn't do it. They kicked a field goal, and now I need, I'm down by, um, you know, I, I need six more points to cover and seven to get my bet. And sure enough, with seven seconds left,
0: <laughs> they did it. So you were pretty conflicted at that moment, huh? Because you'd, oh, you'd won, but you'd I, also lost. I was
1: conflicted at all. I wanted to throw up. <laughs> but I also made a lot of money on, on that play. And I know that it was, it was... The loss was mitigated somewhat by being able to go cash those tickets.
0: Um, it helps. Yeah, money helps. Money helps, I, the, like, money helps the pain go away.
1: But, um, but I just want to say I would gladly trade all that money for a W. <laughs>
0: well, so, so now that you've mentioned uh, to gambling, I want to mention the fact that you used to work in a casino. Uh, your novel, Forest of Fortune, was set on a reservation casino, and luck and chance and, and, and uh, gambling are all the engines of the story. Uh, so I want to make you our bookie expert on the big game and just get your projections for the season. What, what teams do you see go in the distance? Who do you think is going to win the NFC East to start off?
1: Um, that's really tough. I think the um, the NFC West is going to be a real uh, um, that could be like a, um, a division where the teams just beat the snot out of each other, as we saw in Seattle, St. Louis um, yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, with St. Louis edging that out. So I don't think I don't think Seattle is as a clear cut a favorite as you know people want to think because. You know, Arizona defense has, has made a lot of strides. Who knows? I think San Francisco is in complete disarray. In um, the East, uh, we'll see what the Eagles do. Uh, they they seem to be um, the front runners. I, I just don't believe it though. I mean, I'm going to need to see you know them win three or four games to you know anoint them.
0: So you think uh, getting Demarco Murray from the Cowboys wasn't? Enough to to make it a fit. accompli. it has to be. They you need to. They need to prove it first.
1: No, because from a Giants fan, it was like the best situation because the Dallas Dallas loses their best runner behind their massive offensive line, who really thrived in it, and goes to yeah, he goes to another division rival. But we know that uh, when players have over three hundred touches in a season, they have a very steep off the next year and for the rest of their career yeah it, it, I mean, you just there are only so many of those seasons that you have in you um, I mean the knees and, and everything else can only take so much and, I, and I'm also not that big of a believer in the offensive line and I think you know Bradford the quarterback for the Eagles needs to you know prove that he can stay healthy for more than you know for a full season mm-hmm. or season um, I think that Minnesota has made some interesting strides in the NFC North, but um, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, the Packers, who look like they haven't really uh, missed a step.
0: Yeah, Aaron Rodgers threw what four touchdowns, three hundred plus yards or something yesterday. Yeah, I
1: mean, and that's you know against the Bears, who it's like his his kind of personal whipping boy, it seems <laughs> like. Um, and I was really impressed by what Detroit did in the first half against San Diego.
0: Yeah, not quite so much the second half.
1: Yeah, and then they went laser face, ripped them apart in the second <laughs> half. So, um, so I would have to say something fairly conservative like uh, like Green Bay. But I'd be very surprised if there are any like twelve team winners this year. I think you're going to see um, a lot of parity, a lot of. I mean, all the injuries we've already seen, you know, with teams. Um, one thing I'm encouraged about the Giants is that. Maybe we're looking at a situation where they get some of their best players back for the second half. You know, their they're starting left tackle and Victor Cruz and maybe even JPP. Um, not that I think they're contenders, but um, with all the injuries, especially the knee and ankle injuries, I think whoever has the most horses for that stretch run is going to be in, in good shape.
0: Yeah. Well, so how do you feel about the AFC? Just, you know, top one or two teams you think will come out of there?
1: Um. Well, I've, I mean, the Patriots are looking really strong, and there's been a lot of, uh, you know, I, Patriots were someone that could have been their down year if uh, take away those four games from Tom Brady, but now, <laughs> uh, now he's back, and it's like the most, you know, it's like a college team. It's like a plug and play system. It really doesn't matter who they have there. They just will exploit whatever whatever the weaknesses are.
0: Yeah, they, I mean, as as sad as it made me to watch that game, the Steelers just didn't look good enough. Their defense was atrocious. Tom Brady got to do whatever he wanted to do in that game, and it, New England deserved to win regardless of whatever, you know, headset malfunction there was.
1: Well, I listened to the game, and it seemed like uh, the uh, uh, Pittsburgh secondary was in a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, Super Bowl picks. Who do you got?
1: um i'm gonna let's see i'm gonna do something um i'm gonna pick one fairly conservative guess and one wild card and i'm gonna say green bay versus cincinnati
0: (laughs) all right cincinnati i did not expect that one
1: yeah i I didn't either but um but they were good for me yesterday um but granted, you know, when you like a team and you want to bet money on them, it always helps when they're playing a, a really dysfunctional franchise, you know. It's like like the Raiders. But I like the defensive line. I like their quarterback. I don't know if they have enough weapons. Um, but uh, I think that, you know, um, I'm not overly impressed by anybody else in their division. So I, maybe this is their,
0: their year. Do you have any sure picks that you want to pass on to the listeners for, for next week's lines? Is there one game in particular that's uh, attractive to you already? Uh,
1: well, I can. Well, I was going to say tonight's line, um, that doesn't really help your listeners. I really like Minnesota tonight, and um, I don't know, wherever the Redskins are playing. <laughs> All
0: right, that's a great point. All right, Jim, well, thank you so much for coming on to the big game, uh, sharing in the, uh, the, the misery of the Giants' loss, as well as your expertise on, uh, on gambling for the NFL.
1: Yeah, well, at least I'm not betting on baseball, so there's that.
0: <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't let you in the Hall of Fame for that one. <laughs> all right, thanks, Jim. You're
1: welcome. Thank you, Justin.
0: All right, everybody, thanks for listening to The Big Game. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Leave a review if you like what you hear. Check out our website, biggamepod.com, to listen to all of our previous episodes. Follow us on Twitter, at GamePod. And stay tuned for more next week here on The Big Game. The big game. That's that's quite chill. I like to sleep very, very cold in a hotel room for, for whatever reason. Maybe it's because I can't do it here at my house. But there's something, I don't know, there's something enjoyable about a freezing hotel room. I oh, don't know, maybe that's a weird thing.